As we come now before the very Word of God, if you'd like to read along with me, we'll be in 1 John. That's the letter of John. The first letter of John will be at the very end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3. So, 1 John and chapter 2. But before we read, would you please pray with me, Lord and Father in heaven. You have sent the Spirit of your Son into our hearts. And your spirit bears witness in us that we are your children. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you guide us now in truth and in faithfulness? Would you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to believe what you have given? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is 1 John, and chapter 2 will begin in verse 28 and then carry into chapter 3 a, a short bit. So 1 John, chapter 2, beginning in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the word of God. Now, today, we'll be taking up the particular doctrine of Christian sonship. We'll be talking about Christian sonship. In other words, what it means to be children of God. And this is really important for us. There's one uh, preacher who's now dead, Martin Lloyd-Jones, if that name means anything to you. He said most of the unhappiness that we experience in this life is due to our failure to realize this truth that we are children of God. It's a really bold statement to say that most of our unhappiness is tied to this, but he's really on to something here. Knowing, really knowing that we are sons and daughters of God radically impacts our lives, including even our happiness in God. So we want to get this. John really wants his listeners to get this. So John opens this section that we started reading in by referring to his listeners and to us as little children. Did you notice that? 
He calls uh, his, his audience little children, even though most of the listeners are mature adults. And he, John continues to do this often throughout his letters to call these people children. This is not meant to be condescending or belittling or because he's some cranky neighbor calling over the fence at people. This uh, term, little children, is loaded with affection and authority. By the time John is writing this letter, John is in his much later years of life. He's, fairly, he's a fairly old man. He's been well-established as a trusted leader in the church, and he's one of the few remaining, if not the only remaining, living apostle by this point. He's one of the 12 chosen men who personally walked with Jesus during his life on earth, and now John's testifying to him. So John has become a sort of spiritual father to these early Christians. So he doesn't just call them little children. There are times where he calls the people my little children. There's clearly a a sense of family bond there. And even though there are times where John sometimes refers to us as his children, he never refers to himself as our father. None of the New Testament writers refer to themselves as our father. John later calls himself an elder, but that's about as far as he goes, as far as titles go. The only one that John calls father here is God. He is reminding us that God is our father. Now, before we can unpack that and all that it means, We need to clarify exactly who these children of God are. Because it's not everyone. It's a common misconception that all people are God's children. But that's not the general teaching of the Bible. There's a few isolated times in the scriptures where the, where the scriptures refer to all humanity as God's offspring in the sense that all humans are created by God. We all originate from God. But the overwhelming consensus throughout the pages of the scripture that not all humans are naturally born children of God. We have to be brought into God's family. And we hear that in, in language of things like uh, adoption and redemption and regeneration and born again. Whenever you hear those, that's people being brought into God's family. So we could think about it this way. Biologically, humans are all of one family. Biologically, that's true. We are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. But more importantly, spiritually, humans are not of one family. We're of two families. All humans are of two families. A little later, John will call those two families the children of God and the children of the devil. And we all belong to one family or the other. Now, all the rest of what I'm about to say here only applies to one of those families. Adoption is only true of the children of God. 
Well, the rest of this is only true of, of Christians. So if you are not a child of God, I have to say that none of the rest of this is yours. It's not yours. But it could be. It could be. If you receive Jesus and believe in his name, you are born again as a child of God. That could even happen right now. And if you were to do that right now, you would get to hear the truth about your family as a child of God for the first time. That would be a delight to me. But now, for all of us here, we want to look then at the truth of the children of God from the viewpoint of what's true in the past, what's true in the future, and what's true in the present. So that's our framework for the rest of our time. For the children of God, past, future, and present, let's look at the first of those. What's true in the, of the children of God in the past? That is to say, what comes before we are children of God? What is our origin? By asking about our past here, I am not referring to some wild, wicked life that we, we surely had before we met Jesus and were born again. Some people have backgrounds and stories like that. Maybe some of you even have backgrounds and stories like that. Praise God if that's the case. But many people don't have stories like that. It's true that we're all born in sin, but not every Christian has a memory of some pre-Christian life. There, there are many Christians who grow up into a genuine belief, genuine faith in Jesus, so that they don't even remember a before life, a life apart from being a child of God. As far as they can remember, they've always been one of his. That's a good thing. So we don't need some rebellious backstory to prove that we are Christians. So by past, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to like drudge up anything bad in your past, nor am I trying to drudge up anything good in your past either. I'm just not that concerned with your past or mine at all. We're going back to a point before our rebirth, before our birth, before we've done anything good or bad to look at the root. John talks about this in his uh, gospel writing in the opener of John chapter 1. Listen to some of the roots here. Where is it? Uh, verse, I'll pick up in verse 12. Uh, he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, listen, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he says, we've got these children of God. How are they born? Here we hear the root about how these children of, are, of God are born. They're not born of blood. That is, this isn't something we automatically inherit from mom and dad. 
We just don't automatically become Christians because of our family background. So it's not of blood. It's not of the will of the flesh. That is, it's not something I can muster up my own desire that I'm going to, I'm going to believe God now. I'm going to seek God now. I'm going to produce faith in myself somehow now. Not of the will of the flesh, nor is it of the will of man. That is, no one else can get me into this family by their connections or coercions. None of that matters. We are not born of blood, will of the flesh, will of the man, but born of God. If we were to trace our sonship back to its first seed, back to its origin, to its base, to the root of what makes us children of God, that root is not something in us It is something in God. And more particularly, that something is God's love. It's his love. That's the root. So like Paul says in Ephesians, in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. John says it a little differently. In the letter that we're in, in verse 1, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So the only way that anyone is ever, ever, ever born as a child of God is that God has given that person his love first. And the kind of love he gives... The kind of love God gives to make us his children is a flabbergasting love. That word's a a big one. Gets a little lost in the language here. It's a flabbergasting love. My Bible says, see what kind of love the Father's given. If you're reading other translations, maybe you, you, you see how great is the love the Father has given or what manner of love the Father has given. What's What that's getting after is this. So, This is a similar word to what the disciples experienced with Jesus when they were on the stormy sea. You maybe know this account. If you don't, here's what happened. These disciples had been with Jesus for quite a long time already, gotten to know him, hear his teaching, seen some pretty amazing things from him. And there's a moment when all of the disciples and Jesus get into this boat and there's this huge windstorm cracking the sides of the sails, you know, the waves are swamping over the sides, the whole thing threatens to splinter the boat, and they're, they're shouting at Jesus to do something, and, and Jesus stands up and says, peace, be still, and the waves stop in a sudden calm. Now, when that happens, the disciples don't first cheer. Woo, the waves are gone. They don't first hug Jesus. Woo, thank you for getting the waves gone. They first gasp in flabbergasted awe. And they say, What kind of man is this? 
What kind of man is this? Now, they're surely grateful and glad for their circumstance, but they cannot wrap their minds around such a massive display of sheer, immense power. And that's the sense of God's love here. When God calls to his children, you are my child. We don't first cheer. Yay. We don't first hug. Yay. There's first a flabbergasted sort of gasp when we look at something like that. And we go, what kind of love is this? Surely grateful, surely glad that it happened, but I cannot wrap my mind around the full immensity and power of that sort of love. That's what stands behind every child of God. The past, the origin of our sonship, is the love of God. Now, What comes before us, as in in front of us? What's in our future? Where does it lead? Where is sonship heading? We hear this mentioned in verse 2. Beloved, I'll read it again. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So here's my summary of what that's saying. It's true that we're God's children now. We are his. We're not half a child. We are his children now. And yet there is an aspect of our sonship that is yet to be fulfilled. Because when Jesus appears, we will be like him. We don't become him. We never become God or gods, but we are like Jesus, specifically in the sense of his purity. So the future of every child of God is holiness. Holiness. We're told that. In the opening of Ephesians, there's a whole big section of adoption if you want to read it all in chapter 1. But verse 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So we're headed for holiness. Now this idea of holiness, for some people, leaves a bad taste in our mouth. Holiness feels boring or obnoxious. And and the reason why that sometimes feels that way is because there are a whole bunch of goody-goody, holy hypocrites who have ruined it by their fake holiness. So when we think of holiness, we, we sometimes think about artificial holiness. But a truly holy person would be holy in the way that Jesus is holy. That is not bland or uppity or pompous, but filled to the top with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
a holy person, would be the epitome of peace, the epitome of love, the epitome of joy, of kindness, of patience, all of this filled to the top. That's a, that's a holy person. Don't you want that? I mean, imagine a huge family, God's family, where all of the people are like that. And not just a glimmer, a a moment of holiness here and there. Always, always holy. Holy purity is worth all the money in the world. Have you ever seen a child in a moment of what seems like just a glimpse of, of pure joy? You know, where, 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 where a kid has just like utter, unabashed delight, ecstasy, usually over something simple like a swing or a cookie. Ah, the eyes are big, the smile, the laugh is huge. That's a glimpse into the future, the holy future of children of God. We hear the Bible talk a lot about Christians as heirs, that God has given us an inheritance in the future. And sometimes we think about that inheritance, what we, what we have as part of that inheritance as things we have. There'll be streets of gold and, and pearly gates and heavenly mansions, some place in heaven. There's, there's certainly some truth to that. But the the greatest riches of our inheritance as sons are not in things that we have, that we will rule and reign with God in the new heavens and new earth. That is true. But it's not in what we have. The inheritance is in what we become. That by his spirit, God conforms us to his image. I can't even fathom that now. Because even though I am saved now as a believer in Jesus, I still wrestle with sin. And it drives me crazy. You know that maddening experience as a Christian where you know you're saved from the debt of sin, but you still desire sin? Still chase after it? Still want it as if it will somehow satisfy? As we know life now, there are times where we still follow sin more than we follow Jesus. But for the Christian, there is a future in which we will be holy. We will be with Jesus and made like Jesus to really live as Jesus lives. That's our future. So now we come to our third and final part, the present. So if God's love anchors his children's past and God's holiness awaits God's children's future, what does this mean for God's children's present. What does this mean for us now? If we were to keep reading, 
There's a whole bunch of implications for how, how we're to live, how this changes and transforms us. In the verses right after this, it talks about practicing righteousness, and, and there's a lot there, more than we can pick up today, so we'll have to wait for that until the next time we're together. But for today, for here, in these verses, John doesn't emphasize what to do with this. He just emphasizes the fact of the matter. See what kind of love Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Behold, uh, beloved, we are God's children. We're not just called children. We are now children of God. And there's no snappy way to describe this for our present selves. We can just simply say that this is our relational status with God. That's our present As God's children, this is our relational status with God. God is our Father. We are His children. The highest blessing that God gives is to call people His children. It's the highest blessing. So if you were to ask a Christian, if you were to ask a Christian, what's the best part of the gospel? What's what's the goodest part of the good news? What's, What's the greatest gift? What's the highest blessing that God gives? The answer that you're most likely to hear is probably something around justification. Even if they don't know or use that word, it's probably something about that. That we think of the highest gift is that Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt of sin for us. That Jesus took the wrath of of God upon himself so that we would live and not die. That that Jesus uh, forever has, has given forgiveness of sin to all who have faith in Jesus Christ. That is true and is really, really, really good news. Justification, forgiveness of sin is glorious. It's indispensable. Without justification, we're dead. Without Jesus' work on the cross to forgive our sin, we would still be in our sin, and we would be enemies of God. Justification is really, really important. I don't want to diminish even even an iota of the place of justification. It is a treasure, but justification isn't the best part of the good news. Justification has to do with our legal standing before God. Our legal standing, that is, that Jesus brought us out of the guilt of sin and has counted us righteous before God. But adoption is different. Adoption has to do with our relational standing with God. That Jesus hasn't just brought us out of sin, He has brought us into his family. So you can simply think of it like this. In justification, God is a judge who says, you're forgiven. 
But in adoption, God is a father who says, you are mine. Those are both true of every believer. But that last part is the best news. To be called mine by God. That's why various theologians, if you read all these people, call the doctrine of of sonship the highest privilege that the gospel offers, says one. Another said, the adoption is the apex in our relationship with God, and it is the fundamental way for the Christian to think about himself. All of that is right in line with what Paul says to the Galatians. You are no longer slaves, but you are sons. That's what you are. So listen to me now. If you ever begin to wonder who you are as a Christian, begin to lose sight of it, begin to get stuck in other things, if you ever begin to wonder who you are, the simplest and most precious answer is simply I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? You need to remind yourself, I need to remind myself until I do to deepen my belief and return ourselves to it, to let it shape us and comfort us. You know, Christians are many things. We are creatures of God, our creator. We are citizens of God, our king. We are servants of God, our Lord. We are workers of God, our master. We are sheep of our shepherd. We are soldiers of our captain. We are ministers of our great high priest. We are ambassadors of the very word of life. But above all of this, and best of all, we are sons and daughters of our Father. And God our Father is good. Pray with me. Oh, Father, we have been adopted in your love and are destined by your hand for holiness. These things we look forward to, but Lord, now make us ever thankful to be your children. Help us never to lose the wonder of this or the rest that comes with this, knowing that the very God of the universe has brought us into his family. Thank you. And thank you for your work in Jesus to do this for us. You are great, and we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.